Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 is where we will begin. We're going to give an overview of the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian churches today. Starting in Galatians 1, moving throughout the entire book. But first, as you're finding that passage, let me share with you the key concept for today. And it's something that I know you're familiar with. It goes like this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Of course, I'm quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 is a perfect summary of the message of the book of Galatians. Paul was remarkably consistent over the years of his writing. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, his message was the same over and over again. The work of God in your life is a work of grace. It is by His grace you have been saved. And that's the message of the book of Galatians. Galatians is a passionate letter. It is an emotional letter. One author describes the tone of Galatians as compassionate rage. I wonder if you can relate to compassionate rage. It's what you you feel when someone you love is doing something destructive in their life. You are raging against what that thing is in their life and in fact, maybe a little bit against them for allowing that to happen. Compassionate rage. It's all born out of compassion and love for for the person and that's how Paul writes this letter. Pick up the reading with me in chapter 1, verse 6 and you'll hear the emotion. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is no gospel at all. What you're turning to is not good news, he says. It's bad news. You're turning away from the good news of Christ. You see, the Galatians, the people that he's writing to, are those that he met during his first missionary journey. Back in A.D. 47, during that first missionary journey, Paul and and uh, Barnabas uh, landed in southern Turkey. That's where this area is. And they witnessed regarding Jesus Christ to these people. And these people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, were converted. And Paul and Barnabas worked with them to form these small bodies of believers, primarily in three cities. The city of Derbe, Lystra, and Iconium. All of this is recorded in Acts chapter 14. These were the first outposts for the gospel in in Paul's missionary efforts. And these outposts for the gospel were hard won. Paul had to battle illness. He had to battle rejection. He had to battle persecution to the point where at one point in the story, right in this area, he's literally left for dead on the side of the road. But Paul now is back to his sending church back in in Antioch and he's gaining some rest and he's recuperating after that missionary journey and he hears a rumor that floats his way that there are teachers that were actually following him, false teachers teaching another version of salvation. We call these teachers the Judaizers. And the reason is because what they were teaching was it isn't enough for you simply to place your faith in Jesus Christ if you really want to be in the kingdom of God, if you really want the promise of heaven, you need to also adopt the Jewish law. You need to become Jewish and then you can become Christian basically is, is the, their teaching. Specifically, they say to the males, you must be circumcised, and to everybody, you must uh, keep the feasts that were dedicated in the laws of, of Judaism. And, and this was the teaching that Paul is fighting against. You, we've heard this issue before. 
This teaching is something that he comes up against again and again. But we have encountered that teaching when we went through the book of Acts. And we noticed in Acts chapter 15, this, this idea that you have to be Jewish first and then become a Christian, so Gentiles have to come under the law, is something that's so getting under Paul's skin that they call a council in Jerusalem. And there's a meeting of the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. This is about the year A.D. 50. And they ask themselves the question, is this really the message that we have from Jesus, that people have to come under the Jewish law and then can find Jesus as Messiah? And the end result of that counsel is they say, no, that is not the message. The message of Jesus is you can be saved by the gracious work of God through faith. Just turn to Jesus and you can be saved. And that was the result of that meeting. And from then on, of course, uh, Paul continued to preach the message he had always preached, salvation in Christ alone. Now, I bring up that council because I believe that if that council of AD 50 had already taken place, and if Paul had that decision, so to speak, in his back pocket, that decision of the council, and as he faces this exact issue in Galatia, I think he would have mentioned it. I think he would have said, you know, guys, we had a meeting about this. And it's not just me in terms of the teaching that I got. It's the the decision of Peter and all the church leaders. And they, too, agree with me that salvation is by grace through faith. You don't have to adopt the law. But it's interesting to me that he doesn't mention it. And the reason I believe he doesn't mention it is because that counsel is yet to come when he writes this letter. He doesn't have that in his back pocket. And if that's true, that that counsel is yet to come as he writes this letter, this this tells us that this is the very first work, written work of the Apostle Paul. That this is the first thing he set pen to paper to write, which also means that this is the first book inspired by the Holy Spirit that he knows will be part of the New Testament that we now have. And the point of the first book of this New Testament, the first letter written by the Apostle Paul, is by salvation comes by grace through faith. That's Paul's consistent message. Now, the book of Romans, he lays it out logically like a professor. But here in Galatians, he blurts it out in anger because his people, the people that he loves, he's he's worked with, are being pulled away from that message. You see, the, the teachers that have followed in Paul's wake evidently think like this. They think to themselves, how is it that these former pagans can so easily come into the kingdom of God? For centuries and years, we have been following all these rules and regulations. We've been keeping them to the letter so that we can somehow be acceptable to God. And now these guys just slide into the kingdom simply by faith because of God's grace. Paul is making it too easy. That's what the teachers are objecting to. And so they come up with a message. And it's a message that still traps many in their thinking. And that message is, you need to earn your way into favor with God. You need to find merit, and the merit in the way that you live gets God's attention, and then when you merit it, then He will love you. Then He will like you. And what they specifically want the people to do is follow the Jewish law. But Paul looks at that and he says, that's not good news, that's bad news. But still, it is an attractive heresy the heresy of works righteousness. It's all around us still today. It's primarily the teaching of all the cultic movements in the world today, this idea of earning your way to favor with God. 
It's attractive because something in human nature resonates with this idea that says, if I would just act better, if I would just clean up my life a little bit more, if I would just go a few notches up on the righteousness meter, then somehow God would be impressed with me and I would be able to be before Him. That message is embedded. It's all around us and it's very tempting to believe. But listen to these words from Romans 5. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I hope you love that verse. I hope you know that verse. Because those words tell you, before you cared about God, before you were concerned about your spiritual situation, when, when there was that time in your life when you were caught up in all kinds of running after the things of the world, before you gave a hoot about eternity or you thought a wit about spiritual things, when you were out in the world and out in the wilderness and you couldn't care less about having peace with God, even then God already loved you. He loved you with everlasting love. And he died for you on the cross and he invites you to love him back and that's what the Christian life is all about. That's where it starts. Loving Jesus back. But Paul's uh, uh, false teachers are saying, no, no, it's not as simple as that. You've got to earn your way and that is totally false. If you get caught up in legalism, if you get caught up in rules and regulations, you are lost because you'll never make it that way. Now, as Paul writes the book of Galatians, he's, he's passionate as he writes this, uh, this message. I once heard a lecture on the book of Galatians, and the teacher used an image that uh, stuck with me. It's the image of a mountain peak in two valleys, and I literally have drawn a picture of that for you, okay? So maybe this will help you understand the outline of Galatians. Picture the Christian life as the pathway on top of that mountain peak. That is the Christian life of freedom and grace that we are invited to through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul outlines that Christian life and the liberty we have in Christ in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Galatians. But on either side of that mountain pathway, there are valleys, and in the valley, there is bondage and there is wrath. Bondage and wrath. And, and the one valley is the valley of the law and, there, and legalism. You're bound by rules and regulations, and Paul outlines that problem in chapters 3 and 4. Okay? You're under the wrath of God because you'll never keep the law. And you have to keep the law perfectly in order to, be, to earn your way to God, which never happens because the law is not meant to do that, okay? He outlines that in chapters 3 and 4. But there's another valley you can fall into as well, and that is what we'll call the valley of license. And the wrath of God rests on those in the valley of license because you're also still there under bondage. You're under bondage to your own sinful impulses, your own sinful desires. And he talks about that in chapters 5 and 6. That's how this book rolls out. And so Paul is warning us against falling into either of those valleys, the valley of legalism or the valley of license. This is what the valley of license sounds like. How do I decide what is moral and what is immoral? How do I decide what is right and what is wrong? It's what I like. It's what I prefer. I make the choices, what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral. And when that's the way you live your life, you are in bondage to your own sinful desires. And the wrath of God rests on those in that valley. And so Paul rolls out this, this book and his point is it's easy to slip into either of those valleys and what these heretics are teaching you is the valley of law and legalism. So Paul begins this letter and he, and he begins his writing career right here in Galatians. And what's interesting to know is a principle that runs through all of his writings and that principle is this, you must know what you believe. 
You must believe right doctrine. And as you believe right doctrine, you will be able to fight against wrong doctrine. But the Galatians, you see, are not able to protect themselves. And so the first thing they do is they try to discredit the the false teachers. They try to discredit Paul. If they're going to discredit his message, they want to discredit him as well. And they question Paul's apostleship. There's a, there's a di- couple different ways you can use the word apostle. One way is uh, a, a general meaning that says, I am uh, a representative of a body of believers to a different body of believers. So I come, for instance, as an emissary. I bring a message from the brethren, a message of unity, and a message of greeting. You can use the word apostle that way. Or you can use the word apostle to mean, I am one sent from the very presence of Christ on a mission for God. Here's how Paul describes himself. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul wants them to know that, that he, has, uh, he is on a mission from Jesus himself. I was made an apostle not by some committee or not by some person, not by some human decision. Jesus himself met me. He, he created me. He designed me for this job. And he called me to do this. And thus, I can speak boldly the message that I have in him. Now, I point that out because if you know Christ as personal Savior... Jesus Christ has designed you in a, per, in a certain way. He has given you gifts and abilities. He has called you based on those gifts and abilities. And when you find that ministry that He's called you to, you do it boldly in the name of Jesus. Because that's exactly what we are called to do. To find that place and to go for it with passion. And that's what Paul is doing here. And the issue that faces him is, how do you get saved? See, it's not about who are you following or not your favorite teachers and all this kind of thing. It's how do you get saved? Do you get saved by being good enough to get God's attention and then he lets you in? Or do you get saved as a gracious gift of God that we receive by faith? Paul says to the legalists, hey, if you're slipping back into the law, you're slipping down into that valley of legalism. And the law is like a string of pearls, a necklace. If it breaks even in one place, that necklace is no good. Those pearls are going to slide off. And you always break the law because the law was given not so that we can earn righteousness before God. The law was given to show us our need for forgiveness before God. The source of our salvation is God's grace and the means of our salvation. The conduit through which that grace flows, if you will, is our faith. And it's not about how strong your faith is. It's not about how pure your faith is. It's not about you clenching your fists and determining that I absolutely will believe. It's about the object of your faith. Faith is a mustard seed. Childlike faith placed on the right object, Jesus Christ. And He does the saving, you see, not your determination. He responds to your faith, and He does the saving. Paul says, if anything else other than that message is taught to you, you disregard that. He says it in 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Even if I, he says, should come back and say, okay, change my mind, here's, the, here's my, my new teaching. Or even if an angel shows up, no matter how attractive the preacher is, no matter how fluid is his teaching, no matter how good he looks on TV, or how many times they come to your front door, if they don't teach that gospel, that is wrong, and that's going to send you right to hell. 
And so he defends his message and he defends his record for chapter 1 and 2. And then by chapter 3 and 4, he has his eyes set right on that message of legalism. Go to chapter 3, verse 2. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Paul says, look back. Let's think back to what, how you came to be a child of God. Did, did you come to, to, to have conviction of the Spirit by being good enough? See, everyone comes into the family of God the same exact way. It's not by jumping through religious hoops or doing religious deeds. It is by the touch of the Holy Spirit in your life first convicting you of sin, bringing you to that moment where there's a sense of, I need to get right with God. I need to to fix this problem because I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm away from what God wants me to be. That's the first work of the Holy Spirit. And when you turn in response to that convicting work and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is the Spirit who comes into your life and regenerates you, makes you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. He does the saving. That's how everybody gets saved. Nobody gets saved simply by being good enough. Paul says, remember the spiritual work that was done in you. Was it by the Spirit or was it by you earning your way? No one gets there by earning their way. Regeneration never happens by keeping the law well. It happens by the work of the Spirit on the inside. And you are changed from the inside out. It always is that way. And now as we live the the new life in Christ, walking that pathway on the mountaintop, now things begin to change because I've been changed from the inside out. And this walking, this journey on that mountaintop experience is a journey of growth. It's a journey of maturity. And as we mature in Jesus Christ, here's what begins to happen. My desires begin to change. My ideas begin to change. My habits begin to change. The things that I call fun begin to change. That which brings me joy begins to change. My interests begin to change. Because the Spirit is transforming me step by step, moment by moment, more conformed to the image of Christ. But none of that is because somebody wrote a list and rules and regulations and said this is what you got to do. Because if that's the way you're trying to do it, you're never going to get there. The Spirit is the one who does the work. So now, you may ask yourself, well, hearing all of this, why is there a law in the first place, right? Why did the law even come? Paul addresses that issue in chapter 3. Follow along as I read a string of verses. He said in verse 19, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Skip down to verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. Chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, here's here's the point that Paul's making. The law was given because of your transgressions. In other words, it was the straight-line ruler that demonstrated how out of whack your life was. That's why the law came. And it pointed to something greater. It was a guardian, if you will. He uses that image. As a guardian takes care of a child until that child matures when that child can receive the inheritance. That's the law. And the good news is this. The opportunity for the inheritance has come. Because the Messiah has come and the rescue mission has been accomplished and now we can turn in faith and believe and be saved. 
And that's what Paul says is the service of the law. And as you, and as you uh, walk on that journey, it's, it's a journey of faith and a journey of freedom to be able to live the way you ought. From the halfway through chapter 4, Paul's tone begins to change. Up till now, he's been very strident in terms of his presentation. But in halfway through chapter 4, he t- turns a new tone and he becomes more tender with them. He says, I want you to remember when I was with you, how you cared for me. You see, Paul was ill when he was in this region. And these people cared for him and they ministered to him. And he says, now, now that you see that you were tender with me, don't become my enemy now because I'm on, I'm on your side. I want you to be blessed. But you're coming under the bondage of legalism and that'll hurt you. But there's another way to come under bondage, and that is the bondage of license. And that he takes up in chapters 5 and 6. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You're walking on that high pathway. Don't slip into the bondage of the flesh and the bondage of license. Because as you walk that pathway with Jesus, your, your, your desires, as I said, are supposed to change. Christian freedom is the ability to, to pursue those new righteous desires and to find satisfaction and joy in Christ alone. Not those old things, those old habits, which are a false joy and a false freedom. You have true freedom in Christ. You don't have to be bound to those habits anymore. And in Christian freedom, as you pursue that maturity in Christ, you become a community of compassion toward one another. Verse 14, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself means care about your neighbor succeeding as much as you care about succeeding. Care about your neighbor getting A's on te- their tests just as you care about getting A's on the test. Care about your neighbor finding joy just as you find joy. Care about your neighbor having a good job and feeding his family just like you care about having a good job and feeding your family. And ultimately it means caring about your neighbor finding salvation in Jesus Christ and hope forever just like you have found. Caring about your neighbor, loving one another will be a motivation to share the gospel message, the true gospel of Jesus. Come out of that bondage of license and walk on the pathway, the peak pathway. And then later on in chapter 5, he gives a list of the characteristics of those who are in the, the bondage of license. He says, the acts of the flesh, verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. He's not trying to get a, give a list of every sin that can possibly be committed. Neither are you to read that list and say, oh, haven't done any of those things, good to go. No, that's not, that's not the idea. He's saying, this is what is characteristic of those in the valley of license. But he goes on to say, here's what's characteristic of those who are walking the pathway of freedom in Christ. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is what's typical of those who are walking the peak pathway. This is, what's, this is the kind of fruit that blossoms up on that, up on that pathway and you're going to pick these fruit. We're going to live out these characteristics. But by the time he gets to chapter 6, Paul realizes nobody does this perfectly. We've got to be here for one another in the journey. Chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
Paul is basically saying, you know, we're, we're walking that journey, that freedom in Christ together. But don't shoot your wounded. Don't abandon those who slip a little bit. You've got to be humble enough and gentle enough to reach down and help each other out in the process. And you've got to be humble enough and gentle enough to receive help when you need it. To sometimes receive instruction, to receive even rebuke and say, yes, I want to get back on that pathway. Because that is an act of love we do for one another. Paul envisions all of that and this journey together. And then at the very end of the book, he returns back to the main issue. Chapter 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. In other words, it's not about the law. What counts is being made new in Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. That's the issue. That's all the issue. And it reminds me of a story about a visitation team member who visited an elderly woman in the hospital. This woman had nothing to do with God her whole life. And she was elderly, she was sick, and she was at death's door. This may be the very last conversation she ever had. This visitation team member knew that. And so he went to her side of her bed and he kind of pulled the chair up close and he said, "Uh, I want to ask you, uh, are you ready to meet God? And she gave no answer, didn't respond in any way. But he pressed. He said, well, let me ask it again. What are you going to say when you meet God? And this was her answer. She held up her hands, and they were all bent with age and calloused from work. And she says, with these hands, I raised five children. I'm going to say to God, I did well by my children and my family with these hands. And his response was this, I'm sorry, you're too late. What do you mean? There's already somebody holding up his hands. But those hands have the scar of nails. And those are the only hands that this Father has eyes for. You see, salvation is not about what you do with your hands. It is about what has happened in your heart. And coming to a place when you repent before the one who loves you completely and wants to give you the gift of grace. And when you say yes to that gift by faith, everything changes for all eternity. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.